0: Happy Father's Day to all you men. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. What an honor. What a privilege it is to come together and worship Jesus Christ and on this special day of Father's Day. Uh, thank you, Brother Mike, heard for that song. You know, that song, let me, let me give you the backstory on that song. Newsboys, when they wrote the song, they said, let's write a song as if Billy Graham were writing the song. What would Billy Graham say... If he was writing a song, we believe he would write this song. And that's why it was so gospel-centered and so absolutely triune in its doctrine. What a wonderful. If I didn't have such a long sermon, I, I, we might just sing that song again. I'm telling you, that is an anthem of the faith right there. That was amazing. See, you don't have a long sermon, do you? Well, maybe, maybe a little bit. Hey, listen, wait, well, I want to recognize a special um, a man here today. He, was, um, he and I were colleagues together at Southeastern Seminary when we taught. He was Old Testament, and hermeneutics, and Hebrew. And this is Jonathan Andrews' brother, Stephen Andrews. And he is, um, uh, Stephen, where are you? Would you stand for just a minute? Let us recognize you. God bless you, brother. Welcome to our church today. <laughs> Amen. Glad you're here. I believe you're at Midwestern now. Is that correct? He's at Midwestern Seminary doing a great job. And, uh, I t- and come on now, we got a Hebrew professor in the house. I mean, I tell you, that's, that's, big, that's big stuff. So we welcome him. And, and like his brother, though very, very gifted, you know, mentally and very smart, what a great heart. Just a humble spirit about him. Love those, love those guys. I'm glad that you're here, Stephen, and your family. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Revelation chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. We'll look at 1 through 6. Uh, this is the church at Sardis, part two. Now, this is the church where Jesus said, you are dead. You are dead. And those of you that are still there, there's just a flickering of a gospel light. And so this the di- diagnosis of this church by Jesus Christ, it is not a very lofty one. In fact, it is a very convicting, piercing, penetrating word where Jesus Christ said, church at Sardis, I know you. And I know that you are dead." And last week, we noticed that through complacency and through compromise, this church had lost her gospel witness in the community in which Christ had placed her. And so Jesus comes and He gives this word. He gives a word of, of really, of, of rebuke, and He's calling them to a place of repentance. And so last week, we looked at just the brief commendation that Jesus gave, And then we looked at also the diagnosis of what was wrong with this church. This church had a real problem. They were dead, they were complacent, and they were corrupt. And so now, part two, I want us to look for a few minutes at the commands of Christ. Jesus gives this church and every church that is on the precipice of decline or even has has begun to die, there are five commands that I want us to look at today and then also four promises that Jesus gives. So five plus four gives us what? Nine-point sermon. Come on, ain't that good? Nine-point sermon. Some of you are like, oh, Brother Danny, it's Father's Day. We got to get out and beat the, you know, the Methodists and the Presbyterians. I mean, we got to get ahead of those people. in Hey, listen, you never get ahead of them, right? I mean, yeah, I never let you out that early, So, but we do want to Preach God's Word, so excited about this message. Now, Charles Lowry, he was here just a couple of months ago. He is one of the funniest guys uh, that, I, that I think is out there today teaching and preaching. And a few years ago, he wrote this article, and I have saved it, and It's called its title is A Little Child. And I want to read to you just a little bit of humor from Charles Lowry this morning. As he says, anybody who thinks children are angels sent from God has never had one. If you don't believe in the depraved nature of humanity, just put one cookie down between two 2-year-olds and watch what happens. <laughs> he said my grandson Drew was playing in our <laughs> Drew was playing in our backyard and I looked out the window and I saw him, he was throwing rocks into the neighbor's yard. And I walked out there and I said Drew, you cannot throw rocks in the neighbor's yard. He said, okay, granddaddy, I won't do that anymore. And he said, I walked back in the house, and I looked out in the window, and lo and behold, he was just hurling those rocks into the neighbor's yard. And I walked out there, and I said, grandson, Drew, did I tell you not to throw rocks? He said, yes, you did, but another man came along and told me I could. (laughs) Charles Lowry said, liar, liar, pants on fire. He didn't do that. And then he says, my granddaughter, Mackenzie, he said, oh, sweet, precious girl, and I was tucking her into bed one night, And she asked me this question. She said, will Mimi, which is her grandmother, will Mimi have another baby? And uh, Dr. Lowry said, "Uh, well, Mimi's too old to have another baby. To which Mackenzie said, no, she's not. There was a baby we learned about, in a mama that we learned about in Sunday school, and she had a baby. And I know if she could do it, Mimi can do it. (laughs) And I said, I know her name was Sarah, wasn't it? She said, do you know her? (laughs) He said, I had to laugh, but I said, no, but I did hear she cashed her Social Security check and bought some Pampers. (laughs) To be honest, he said, I can't remember what we finally decided about Sarah and Mimi, but what I do remember is this. I thought that night about what it's like to come to God with childlike faith, and I also wondered if there were things in my life that were dead that God wanted to bring back to life, end of quote. You know, that's precisely what Jesus is doing with the church at Sardis. He has given this very poignant word of rebuke, and he has said, you have, you, you have died. But Jesus is so amazing. he said, even though there's death, I want to bring you back to life, and I want to share with you the way that you can do this. Now, This message obviously is a message of ecclesiology. It is a message to a church. But I'm finding as I study God's Word and as I study these seven churches, that the words of Christ, they are applicable. They are apropos not only for churches, but for businesses, for organizations, for sports teams, and most importantly, for marriages and families. Those who are on the precipice, on the brink of death, I mean, losing life, losing your purpose, losing the value of why God has placed you here, and instead of just stepping on off into oblivion and just saying, I'm done, I'm over, I'm so glad that you're here today, because I believe by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will prick your hearts, and He will bring that which is dying back to life. And so, number one, I want us to look at these commands, these words of exhortation. Jesus gives five commands to the church at Sardis, and He's teaching them Here's how you can come back. Here's how you can be renewed and reinvigorated in your relationship with me, and I can reinstate you, I can give you your purpose, and and I can give power back to you, but you're going to have to do these five things. And by the way, it's interesting. All five of these are in the imperative mood in the Greek New Testament. All of them, all five of them. They're not in any other mood, no indicative mood, no subjunctive mood, no optative mood. I mean, it's just one mood, and it is the imperative mood, the mood of command. For example, Jesus said, number one, you have to be watchful. And this is a present middle imperative. So you could translate it, let us keep on, you yourselves in the middle voice, you yourselves, church at Sardis, let us keep on being watchful and alert and attentive. They had been lulled to sleep. And by the way, there are so many churches that are dotting the landscape of America, and they've fallen asleep. They don't realize that they have fallen asleep. They don't realize that they're just going through the ecclesiastical motions, and there's no life, there's no vitality, there's no baptism waters being stirred, there's, no, there's nobody getting saved. I mean, they, they've just turned inward, and they have begun to just uh, calcify and ossify, and they're just beginning to die this slow death. And I just want you to know something, Jesus Christ takes that very seriously. He does not want any church to be dead and dying and ossified and calcified. He wants every church to be alive, to be vibrant, to be growing, to be, to be a radiant church that is blasting the light and the hope of the gospel in their community. So Jesus basically says, number one, you need to wake up. Wake up. Be on the alert. Now, if anybody would understand this, it would be the church at Sardis. You remember in 549, we talked about this last week, 549 with the Medes and Persians, and then again in 195 B.C. with Antiochus the Great. Those two armies, separated by those three or four hundred years, came against the Lydian kingdom. And the Lydian kingdom, the capital, was Sardis. And Sardis, we talked about this last week, but let me just summarize briefly what we said. Sardis was so positioned, the city was literally an Acropolis in its own right. It was a city on a hill, and it was surrounded north, south, east, and west. It was surrounded by these precipitous, steep climbs and mountains. And so this city was located, they, they really were an impregnable force. And for them to be captured, and they were in 549, and they were in 195, and the only way you could capture and, and take this city would be for the inhabitants of that city to fall asleep, really. Because all you had to do was post just a few sentinels, just a few guards, and, and they were perched up so high, all they had to do was just look down and they could see the invading armies, they could sound the alarm, and all of a sudden they could, they, I mean, they could destroy anybody that was coming up to them. But they had fallen asleep. They thought that they were invincible. They thought, oh, look at our amazing past. Look at our fortress of a city. And two times in history, documented, 549-195, once with Cyrus and then with Antiochus, that city was captured because the people had fallen asleep. And Jesus, he, he knows that precisely. And these words are not wasted on this historical setting. So number one, he says, be on the alert. Take heed Wake up. Do you not realize that you are in danger? Now, last week, uh, as you know, we attended the Southern Baptist Convention and one of the best conventions I think I've ever attended. There was so much sweet spirit among the people and just great preaching and singing and reports. And, and I'll share with you my, my favorite. And I told these two men, I wrote them and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my church uh, these words. My favorite report was from Russell Moore, He is the uh, director of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I help pay his salary and the salary of all of his staff. His name is Russell Moore, and he represents Southern Baptists right in the heart of Washington, D.C. He is very eloquent. And you may not agree with everything that he— Hey, listen, you're not going to agree with anybody on everything. For heaven's sake, you're a Baptist, okay? So, I mean, you're just not. The only person we agree with unequivocally and totally is Jesus Christ, okay? So he's there, and he is representing us, and he is doing— I think he's doing a fabulous job. And he, in his report, he had the Green family sitting up on the platform with him, and that is the family who own and operate Hobby Lobby. And he shared with the convention, he said, this month, the Supreme Court will rule whether they are in violation of the law. And by the way, whether you like it or not, Obamacare is the law. And they, on religious principle, have said, we object, we are not going to pay for this insurance. And because of that, they are facing fines that will literally... Put them out of business, and so that's he brought them. And man, the Southern Baptist Convention, man, we just rose up and applauded them, and we thanked them for being men and women of principle to be able to stand on what you believe, come what may. And the other, other person he had up there was, I wrote her name down, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, but I want it's Nagma Abedini. Nagma Abedini. Her husband is Pastor Said. Abedini. Does that name ring a bell? That's the young Iranian pastor who is in the country of Iran, and he is incarcerated and in a horrible place of torture, they said, and he's standing for his faith in Jesus Christ. And there were those two pillars of people, if you want to ask my opinion on it, I think these are two wonderful conspicuous examples of men and women on the alert. Who are watchful? Who are taking their religious liberty very, very seriously and willing to lay down even their business and even more so their lives for the sake of the gospel? And the other preacher that I enjoy was J.D. Greer. Now you don't know that name, but you're going to know that name. Uh, if he will stay close and clean to Jesus, he will eventually become, I believe, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He will be. God will do amazing things through him. And he's just in his 30s. He was a student. When I was at Southeastern Seminary, and J.D. Greer preached a message. And this is what he said. He said 70% of people in Great Britain will never go to church. Doesn't matter if they have a funeral, a marriage, a crisis. It does not matter. They will never darken the door, especially of an evangelical church. Guys, I want to tell you something. That is an ominous statement. And then he made even a more ominous, sta- um, ominous statement. He said, and what is happening there will eventually come to America. And 70% of people, he predicted, 70% of the people in the United States will never darken the door of a church. I think I met a bunch of them yesterday, by the way. I mean, I was knocking on doors all around 78759 yesterday, knocking on doors, giving out um, hangers. What do you call those things? Door hangers. And I'm telling you, there are some hostile, mobile, agile people here in the great city of Austin. I mean, they had a few choice words for us, and I was like, excuse me? And they're like, yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, man, we've got our work cut out for us. And so this is what J.D. Greer said. He said, in light of that, if that is the case, and they will never come to your church, in Jesus' name, take your church to them. And so that's, that's what we're doing, by the way, at Great Hills. We, we're not just going to be us four walls and no more. We're going to get outside of these walls and preach the gospel. Because listen, guys, I don't want to go to sleep on, on, on my watch. I want Great Hills Baptist Church to be radiant and vibrant and growing, on the alert, on the watch, looking for Jesus to come any moment. And if he delays his coming, then our hands are going to be on the plow. And we're... Mm, we're going to be sharing Jesus Christ. Listen, whether they want to hear it or not, we're going to tell them the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to knock on their doors. We're going to put it on television. We're going to do everything on the internet. We're going to do everything in our power to say, "Hallelujah! There is a king. There is a Messiah, and Jesus Christ is his name." That's what we're going to do, church. We're not going to back up, shut up, back down. We're going to keep we're going to be on the alert. I I can't imagine being a part of a dead church. I'm telling you what, I think life is way too short to be live and serving and operating in a dead, comatose, moribund, mausoleum, museum kind of church. And I'm so glad, thank you Jesus, that Great Hills is not like that. We are, it's a happening. Number two, Jesus said, I want you to strengthen what remains. You see that in verse 2? He gives them the command, the aorist imperative, strengthen as a whole, strengthen those few vibrant souls in your church. And by the way, if they would strengthen and encourage the few, they could fan into flame. That little ember that is about to go out could become a mighty conflagration for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they had to take it upon themselves to fan that flame and strengthen those feeble souls. One writer puts it like this. He says, Starting with wholesome spiritual principles, starting with those spiritual principles and individuals that yet remained in the church, the congregation was to erect once again the impressive spiritual fortress that had once stood in this pagan city. End of quote. What a powerful, timeless, pertinent word for... Ecclesiology of every epoch of time, every Maloo of time. If your church is dwindling and you're, you're on the precipice of death, then come and get on the alert, number one. Number two, Jesus says, strengthen that which remains. Build, build up and bolster those who are vibrant in their faith. Because, by the way, it only takes, it only takes a few. It only takes a few hot-hearted Passionate, zealous souls for Christ who will infiltrate and will penetrate and build up those who are slumbering. Hey, let me let me just let me just be real with you. Many of you here today are slumbering. Your spiritual temperature is not very high. You are faltering, you are hurting, many of you are compromising with the principles of this world, not only in your ethics, but also in your belief system, and you come to church and it's so dry, it's so boring, because you've got one foot over here in the world, and you got one foot over here in the church, and you are miserable, and you know you're miserable. And I say, in Jesus' name, why don't you do one or the other? Why don't you just go on and serve the world and quit coming here or come here and say, I am going to give my life to Christ and I'm going to sell out for him. Because here's the deal. Here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. I am fearful for you. For you that know to know what is right and not do it and compromise, that is a very dangerous thing. So come on, let me tell you guys, just come on and give up. I think that's why God is doing a work in our church. Many people are getting saved. Every week, I don't know if you've noticed, for weeks and months, we've been baptizing people at Great Hills. I think God is just doing a work in our church. I think He is drawing the line and saying, listen, come on. Let's, let's get real. Let's get serious because Jesus Christ is worthy. And at any moment, He could come again. So strengthen and, and build up that which is faltering. Number three, Remember. Isn't that interesting that Jesus gives the command to remember? Verse 3, it says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Now, probably about 40 years prior. Man, that feels good. It's AC. Oh, it feels wonderful. Let me stand here. Can I just preach here for a second? All right, thank you. To remember where you've come from. In A.D., probably about 55, many people believe the Apostle Paul helped plant the church there in Sardis. And they had an auspicious beginning, no doubt. I mean, they were at least at one time a a vibrant, growing uh, church. So why would Jesus tell them, remember the past? Don't live and dwell in the past, but remember. Uh, One writer put it this way. He said, they needed to go back to the basics, they needed to go back to the basics of the truths of the Word of God and remember the gospel and just remember the basic axiomatic teachings of the apostles. And by the way, that is great advice. Some of you that I was talking to a minute ago, you got this compromise thing going on and you're miserable, you're unhappy. People around you are unhappy because you know what you're doing is not totally real. It's not genuine. And what you could do, what the best thing I think you could do just go back and remember what it was like when you first gave your heart to Christ. There was no compromise. There was just zeal. There was no, well, I don't know if I'll do this or not. No, no you were just sold out. And, and Jesus' words here are pristine. They're precious. He's saying, go back and relive those days when you first, and, and, and just very embryonic, brand new faith. And, and, and don't, don't you remember those days? You remember those days when you first got saved? I'd say you you had witnessed anybody, you would show up at church, you would help, you would serve. But over time, we've lost our zeal, we've lost our compassion, we've we've lost our vital uh, fellowship with Christ, and some of us find ourselves on the brink of death. So remember, and I believe that if you take the time to go back through the past of the great things that God has done in your life, it will motivate you and it will encourage you in the future. Okay, the next one is four. It says, hold fast. Hold on. Hold fast. Present active imperative. Keep on holding on. Keeping on to what? Well, there's no real predicate, but best we can tell is verse two. Hold on to the things that remain. As one writer puts it this way, here is a call to devote earnest attention to rebuilding on what was left from the earlier days of fruitfulness. Hold on. Be strong. I don't know who needs to hear this message. But, boy, this is a powerful message from Christ to you. If you are faltering, if you are flailing in your faith, and you're on that precipice of death, and you know there's more, you know that Christ did not die on a cross and rise from the dead so, could you, so that you could live a hypocritical life. And so Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to hold on to that which remains and be faithful Because some of our faith, it is small, it is is flickering, it is dying. I I remember sitting in a New Testament Greek class when I was a student in seminary, which feels like a hundred years ago, but I remembered as if it were yesterday. I was sitting in this class. Dr. Virtus Gideon, our New Testament professor, he's a great, godly, humble man, was up there teaching. And and one day he just pulled one on us on the class. I did not see this coming. I wish he had given us a warning and said, bring your Kleenex, because Class today is going to be a little bit different. He was teaching our class about this very thing about being faithful and holding on to Christ when times get tough and and you're tempted and you're you're waning in your faith. And he told the true story of his 37-year-old son. He had a son, and I want to say he's a music major at at TCU, but he's a very brilliant musician, instrumentalist, and uh, had perfect health. 37 years of age, went to sleep, went to bed, and woke up in eternity. Nobody Autopsies, nobody could ascertain anything. It was just this mysterious death. One moment he was alive, and then he, he died. In the class, I remember we were just sitting there, and tears were filling our eyes, and we were like, what did you do? Dr. Gideon, how... Did you make it through such a tragedy in your life? I'll never forget what he said. These are his words. We tied a knot in the rope of faith and we hung on. We tied a knot in the rope of faith and we held on and we held on to Jesus. We held all those things that God had revealed to us in the light and we would not question them in the dark. So hold on and hold fast. And the last one that Jesus gives, this last command, is the command of repentance. He tells those who are faltering and flailing in their faith, if you will, he says, come away from that. Move out of your deadness and your corruption and your complacency. And, and you know what repentance is? It is a military term. It literally means you're walking this way and you do an about face. It's a military term. You do a 180 instead of going this way. You're going this way. And now you're serving God, you're sold out to Christ, you're walking with Him, you're living for Him. And Jesus calls everybody, watch this, to repent initially in salvation, but He calls all of us perpetually to repentance in sanctification. I don't get many original words. Let me say that again, see if I can remember that. Jesus calls everybody initially to salvation by repentance and faith. But listen, that's not the only time you're going to repent because when you venture away from God and you, you start compromising, you start teetering on the brink of the world, and Jesus calls you to metanoia, he calls you to repent and turn back to him in sanctification, in holiness, and in righteousness. And by the way, I have yet to meet many Christians who get excited when a pastor preaches on holiness and repentance. It's, it's the look that some of y'all are giving me right now, like, it's like you got spiritual constipation or something, You're, you know, you, you don't want to hear this. Even though it's very good for you, even though it is, it is absolutely going to save your marriage, save your health, save your business, save your team save your family, but you, you're so recalcitrant. You're, so, you're like, ah, don't tell me that anymore. I'm telling you, repent. Turn to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will do absolute miracles in your life. He'll do everything. He'll do absolutely everything except this one thing. He will not repent. That's what you do. That's what I do when we get out of fellowship with Him. So let us be watchful. Let us strengthen let us remember, hold fast, and repent. Now, if we do those things, I believe we will be and maintain this vitality, this excitement, this pulsating joy of the gospel. It'll never get old, and, and, and it'll never get boring. It'll never get just going through the motions. If we will keep these before us, these five commands of Christ. Now, if we do that, there are, there are four promises that Jesus gives, and I want to give you these. Did I ever read the text? I don't know that I did. I got so excited. Did I read it? Oh, let me read it. I've just been preaching right through it, but I'm so sorry. Let let, let me me read it. See if you recognize any of this, all right? (laughs) And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Remember, we talked about that last time, that word of completeness, Not seven Holy Spirits, literally seven Holy Spirits out there, but the one Holy Spirit in completion and power. We looked at Isaiah 11. We looked at uh, Jeremiah. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And then Jesus begins the, the, the prescription for getting back in fellowship with him. Number one, be watchful. Okay. Number two, strengthen the things that remain. And, and that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember this command. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Number four, hold fast, hold on, okay, hold on, tie a knot and rope of faith. Remember that, hold on and repent. Turn away from your sin. Therefore, if you will not watch, is that not amazing? Watch. He's talking to Sardis. The very people who did not watch and lost their city twice. He's telling the church, though, be sure that you watch or I will come upon you as a thief, just like those invading armies did up those precipitous climbing of those walls. I will come upon you as a thief and you will not even know what hour I will come upon you. Here's a word of commendation. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So there are four promises. All right, you ready? We looked at the exhortation or the commands. Then out of God's word, we want to look at the four promises that Jesus gives. Now, by the way, one is negative. If you're taking notes there, the first word should be negative. One is negative. And number two, three of them are positive. The negative one goes like this. If you do not watch, then you're going to face the punitive divine punishment Of Christ, now Jesus is just not joking around with them. He is telling them, "Listen, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you." These are words of threatening. These are words of divine retribution that is coming to the church at Sardis unless they repent. I love this commentary. I came across this is actually in my study Bible. It says, and this is way too small for me to read. So let me let me I've blown it up here so I can read it to you. Twice in its noble history, this citadel fell to invading armies because the precipitous walls were left unguarded by overconfident defenders. No doubt those tragedies are recalled in the warnings of verse 3. So he says, be careful, be watching, and if you're not, then I I will take you out. I, the Lord of the church, have the divine prerogative to close the church. And by the way, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there are churches closing by the hundreds. There are 1,500 pastors every month leaving the ministry. 1,500 a month saying, I've had enough of this. This is, this is too much. I can't, I can't even live up to my own expectations, much less to God's expectations. Church people are driving me crazy. I've just given up 1,500 a month closing their lives, closing the churches. And then Jesus gives these words, these positive words. Ooh, listen to this. But if you'll listen to me, listen. He says, he who overcomes shall be, number one, clothed in white garments. Now, that has the connotation of purity and blessing and holiness. If, you, if you're walking in white Whenever you see this in Scripture, it always has a very positive connotation. Let, let me give you four or five instances. Number one, we see white garments of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, in the Mount of Transfiguration where it was just transformed in this glowing hot white. Okay, Christ. Number two, there are angels in Matthew chapter 28, verse 3, in Christ's resurrection. These angels— clothed in white. At Christ's ascension in Acts 1.10, you see these two angels clothed in white. And then the glorified church. In Revelation chapter 19, we are donning these white robes. And that has the connotation of purity and virginity and holiness and righteousness. And Jesus says, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will walk in purity with me here in this life, and then for sure forever you will walk with me in eternity. So that is promise number, actually that's promise number two. Look at promise number three. And I will not blot out your name from the book of life. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. What does that mean? I'm going to give you four interpretations as to what these words mean, and I'm going to let you decide what you believe. Now I'm going to tell you which one I believe, but let me go ahead and give you, there are four. Number one is this is biblical teaching that says you can lose your salvation. And there are many people who believe that. And I absolutely unequivocally do not believe that. Whatever Jesus is saying, I know he is not saying that once you are born again by the Spirit of God, when you read the entire Bible in its context, there is absolutely no way under heaven... That if a person is genuinely born again, that Jesus Christ says, whoops, sorry, you are losing your salvation, I'm wiping you out. But many people believe that. Have y'all not heard that? What about Revelation 3:5? I've heard that over and over. You're a Baptist preacher, what do you do with Revelation 3:5? I mean, God will take you out. You were once in and now you're out. That's interpretation number one. Interpretation number two is this. Those whose names that are blotted out are the unsaved members in the church at Sardis. That's that's an interpretation. Number three, this is not a threat at all. It's a promise. And this is what many people, your pastor including, believes that this is the answer. We're looking at this all wrong. We're looking at it as something negative, and it is absolutely something positive. Jesus is not saying you're going to lose your He's saying you're not. When you stay with me and you walk with me and you overcome, I will never blot your name out of the book of life. And let me give you this last one. This one is interesting. This is Dr. David Lanier. He taught with us, Stephen, at Southeastern. And I asked him what he thought about this uh, years ago. And by the way, y'all ask me questions all the time, and I love it. I mean, I I could spend a good part of my week just answering questions, theological questions, whether it's people all over the country or people right here in Austin. And a lot of times, I don't have the answer, and I go online and I ask this guy, David Lanier. And i said, man, what do you think about this? My church thinks I know all this. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. What do you think? This guy is a genius. He said, you think I'm smart now? You should have seen me before I fried my brains on drugs. He's really funny, too. He's, he's, he's hilarious. But he's telling the truth. He said, man, I, it was bad. He said, but God has saved me, and, and, and what, what is left here, I, I give it to you. He said, here's what I believe is happening. Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't know if I agree with him completely, but it's very intriguing. Do y'all want to hear it or you need to go? Just, just hurry. Just hurry. okay? I'm about to starve to death. Hurry. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> y'all should just sit where I am. You'd, you'd see the faces, you know, and the, and the joy and the love. I feel the love. It's just everywhere. Feel it. He says, God writes everybody's name in the book of life. But upon death, if they have not received Jesus, he takes them out. It's interesting. I can go with two, three, and four, but I just can't go with number one. Whatever Jesus is saying, I know he's not saying that you can absolutely lose your salvation because that would contradict powerfully what he said in John 5, John 10, what Paul said in the whole book of Ephesians. The last one, and we're done. What are these promises? Well, the positive ones are we will walk in white garments, names never blotted out, overcomers. And number three, he says... He says, I will confess your name. I want you all to think about that with me for just a moment. Jesus said, I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Now, in a corporate sense, is he talking about the church at Sardis as a whole, I'm confessing your name? Or is he talking about a more individual, personalized sense? And I believe it's the latter. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, you're familiar with this. It says that whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, then I will also deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I've read this many times, but just this week, as I was preparing this and looking at this message and going over it and, and adding things to it, taking things out of it, I, was, I had this thought you imagine what what will that be like And the host of heaven the eternal God and the son of God approaches the throne of God before the angels and says father he says your name he she says your name is mine they are an overcomer Enter into the joy of the Lord. Can y'all imagine just a little bit of what that's going to be like? Tom Ogunle, he is one of mine, Father. Tom Oganlay, enter into the joy of the Lord. Come now, Cindy West, I see you. Jesus Christ says, this is my beloved daughter. She believed in me. She served me. She was passionate for me, and now i Impassionate for her and Father, let us welcome and I don't w- mercy. What happens next? I mean, d- is there a, a, a is there a holy applause? Is there is this woo hallelujah moment? I, I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is I believe it somehow, some way. Jesus Christ is going to say, "My name, mercy. My name, my name," and I enter into the joy of the Lord. people ask me, they say, well, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? What if God asked you, Danny Forshee, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I only have one thing. And I promise you, it's not going to be the hundreds of people I've led to Christ and baptized. It will not be the sermons that I preached. It will not be the tithes that we've given. If that question is ever posed to me in heaven above, and God the Father says, why should I let you into my heaven? I'm going to say one word. I'm going to say Jesus. That's just all I'm going to say. I'm going to say Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, Brother Danny, you said something a minute ago. It's just kind of got me. I'm I'm a little bit upset. You're just kind of up in my grill. You're in my world saying that I either need to be completely hot or completely cold. And We'll talk about this in the future where Jesus says, I I would rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold. But don't be lukewarm. Don't be perfecting this art of compromise. Come out. I want to tell you something, guys. It is so much easier and it's so much more blissful and joyful if you just say, God, I give it all and I just surrender my all to you. And I'm going to ask some of you today. Would you give up, and would you give Jesus your all? Now, you may have been a church member for years. You may have been baptized a hundred times. I don't know, but you are not walking with Christ, and you're in guilt, and you're in sin. Maybe you just need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you just need to come clean and say, Lord, I am sorry. Give me a new lease on life. Or maybe you just need to be born again. You need to be born by the Spirit of God. Whatever your decision is, man, we're praying for you. We're asking God to do a mighty miracle, a work in your heart. Some of you are here today, and you're in this great city of Austin, and I love the summertime. It is hot, hot, hot in Austin. I'm telling you it's hot. I just thought it was hot in Alabama, where I'm from. Man, we got the heat going on in Texas, and I like it. I like the heat. Give me the heat over frigid, frigid air any any day. You're in this new city. You'd say, man, and here's why I like June, July, and August, because a lot of people are... They've been relocated to the city, and they're looking for a church. That's why we can't take a Sunday off, okay? That's why we got to preach our best. we got to sing our best. we got to give Jesus our best because Jesus is worthy, and there are people coming in who are looking for a church. I want you to come to this church. Join this church. Get involved and serve God and help us be this massive army that is reaching the city with the gospel unequivocally, unashamedly, I recommend this church to you. And there are other churches in the city, and bless them, I love them. I'm looking forward to meeting with a bunch of them just this Wednesday. I get to pray with a whole bunch of them, but I still like my church better. Amen. It's just I love it. All right, I love it. So you come, whatever your decision is, I'm going to pray for you. Our pastors are going to be up here. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you right now. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that it is alive that it pierces, that it penetrates, it convicts, but it also heals us, Lord. It builds us up. And, Lord, these two groups of people here today saved on fire for you, Lord, it's like pouring gasoline on them. Lord, their hearts are just ablaze with the glory of God and with the fervor of God, and they're excited, and they, they're ready to storm hell, and they are just, they're just walking in the Spirit. Hallelujah. But, Lord, there are others, and they, the truth be known, God, they're just not there. They... They're either A, spiritually dead, and they just need to be born of the Spirit of God. Or B, Lord, they they love you, they know you, but they're just walking at a guilty distance. And Lord, they've lost that first love and that vitality and that joy. And whether it's through compromise or complacency or just being corrupted by this world, Lord, they need you. They need you to give them a fresh anointing a fresh leash on life, so I a lease on life, so I pray for them. that God, you would draw them back into fellowship with you today. God, I thank you for our church. I thank you for our radiant church, growing church, baptizing church. Thank you for the sweet work, God, that you're doing. And Lord, we just pray you'd continue to do it. We pray that you'd continue to use us, God, to be a light to this city. Lord, I pray for these fathers here today. You would bless them, Lord, as the spiritual priest and the pastors in their home, that they would be good, godly men, and that you would encourage them today, Lord. You would bless them. Hallelujah, Lord. They're in church. What an amazing thing, and they want to do right, God. They want to serve you. Would you bless them today? Would you encourage them by what they have heard through this message? Lord, we love you, and now as we stand in your honor and in your presence, we pray, God, that many would make fresh commitments to you, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? God bless you as you stand to your feet. Sing our song of invitation. And again, we have pastors and we have counselors, people here at the front. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you as you come.